about the results of that means of like all the power that's going to happen. Think about who just said he's for you. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Great I Am, where not a man can stand in his presence, not even elders of the spiritual beings can sit sitting in the midst of his throne room. The one that has lightning and thunder and, and fire in his throne room. Full, uh, uh, his, his, his floor is like, like crystal. It's a beautiful rainbow over it. And all are falling down saying, oh, it's totally loud up there and chaotic compared to what we would call uh, normal. You know, in church we call order people being quiet and listening. I think we're going to be really disturbed when we get to heaven how loud and chaotic it is. And this is what's going on. And that one that sits on the throne and always has sit on the throne, who is not worried about a thing, who's in absolute control, who's not about to have some epic battle with the enemy, he's going to breathe and the enemy's going to be gone, says he is for you. Why does anybody want to talk what the devil's doing now? Oh, come on, church. The enemy's just attacking him. Do you know who's for you? If you're talking about the giants, then you're not looking at the creator of the giant. And so here it goes on and it says, I am for you. Uh, Where did I get to? Uh, Yeah, and I'm for you and I will turn to you, which means blessing, and you shall be, uh, I'm sorry, my vision there, and you'll be tilled and sown and I will multiply men upon you, all the houses of Israel all in the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Do you know why he's going to do all this blessing for you? Not so you can say, look at this ministry and look what we did so that you know that he's the Lord. It always comes back to knowing who he is, not what else he can do. How many know we get addicted to what he can do versus who he is? And so back to the airplane story, I was sitting there and I was like, okay, God, and so that's your word for you guys. Just keep that. That'd be awesome. So anyway, a um, little commercial for Jesus in heaven. And uh, so I was sitting in that airplane and I'm thinking, yes, God. So I was just hanging out and just, Lord, what are we just doing right now? I'm just enjoying him. And I could see these people. She, he was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and he was really tan and he was white. So I knew he was not just that his normal color. And he was really dark like he wanted to be, which is awesome. And he looked really sunburned. And so I looked at him and said, did you guys just get back from a cruise? And he goes, yeah. And all of a sudden this conversation just began to happen. And it was just so God. I got to minister to them and pour into them. And it was such a cool, awesome opportunity. And here's the reality. I felt no obligation to tell them or feel like I had to tell them about Jesus, although I did speak about Jesus, and I did boldly talk about God. I didn't have this obligation, oh, I, I have this, I have to, there was no obligation, it was just a flow. Like, if you're going to ask me about my eight children, I could tell you about each one, I could tell you about the details, I could tell you about how they move my heart. It's not some kind of obligation, I'm going to try to go down some kind of systematic way for you to understand my children. I'm just going to pour out all that's in me, because, that's see, that's what happens when you fall in love with God. You stop trying to figure out God, and you start hanging out with God, and God starts pouring out of you. You stop working on the science of God, which is called theology, which always starts with a hypothesis, and you start with truth, and you let truth come out of you, and it sets people free. Too many of us are into doctrine. You want to have correct doctrine, look into his eyes. Oh, come on, church. See, when you get this, you don't just invite God into your life and keep busy. You enter to where God is, and you get on your knees. Martha and Mary. Martha invited Jesus into her house and then went and started cleaning it. 
I know even when we come, you know, just a little insignificant group from Atlanta that comes up here to hang out with you. We know we're significant God, but to you, we're just no ones. That you make sure everything's kind of cleaned up. We came in here, and things look great. I don't know how many people I think you, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw, even when you guys were coming, people walking in, making things were clean, making sure things were set up, and somebody was spraying some kind of smelly stuff and <laughs> going through to make sure that when you walked in here, you felt comfortable. When you walked in here, you felt something and that it was clean in the house. How many of you know if you're going to do that for a bunch of people you may or may not know, how, much, how many of you know when the king of king walks in your house, well, you're going to kind of want it clean? Well, right. But see, here's the reality. If you start cleaning that house, you're already in trouble because now you're going to talk about the character of Jesus lacking Jesus himself. Wow. You guys must you can talk about the character of Jesus but still not have Jesus himself. Wow. And here's Martha has Jesus in her house and invited him in. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega. And of course, she's starting to look around her house going, oh my gosh, I gotta get those crumbs. Here's Jesus. I'm like, we would, and so how much, I, I, some people are harder, Martha. I think there'd be a lot of pressure inviting Jesus in your house and looking around going, oh, I should have painted that spot. I just gotta get that stain. Come on now, right? We do that for someone you don't even know. Like if a contractor's gonna come in our house to help us fix our house, you still make it all perfect for him. It doesn't even make sense. You just go, yeah, everything's cleaned up. Kick things in the closet. You have eight kids cleaning up. It's stupid. You just, you can't. You just start shoving things in closets and shutting doors. And they call it the toy room, although it was a clothes room. You know, you just start calling everything different things. Because the reality, but here's the reality. You can't clean up your mess either. <laughs> you don't have the capability. Get, try to get rid of all that dust and what's going to come back. We had this little stand with our TV that's on it, and there's a glass stand, and it looks really good. You know, it was really cheap is why we got it. I got it on Black Friday for, like, nothing, and so somebody bought us a TV, but I didn't have a stand, so I went and got that. And uh, we wiped that thing down, and seriously, I'm talking 15 minutes later. You're like, <sighs> how many know that's your own life? It's your own life. Before you start trying to clean the house that you live in, why don't you clean the house you have to be in? Wow. But how do you clean this house? Like Mary. Most would assume that she was a prostitute. The lowest of the lowest. When no one wants to be seen with her, but everybody still probably wants to be with her. <laughs> mm. And here's Jesus says, I'll be seen with you, and I don't want anything from you. Jesus is so and what does Mary do? She comes and sits at the feet of Jesus. What message preached? The one that was cleaning with Jesus or before Jesus? Or the one that sat there and did nothing? Which one will make you addicted? One will become addicted to doctrine. The other one will be addicted to his eyes. One will be addicted to the power and principles of God. And the other one won't even care. Mary sitting at his feet is so not consumed by all that Jesus is going to do for the world, she's consumed because now he is her world. Wow. And that is a whole different process than saying, Jesus, come in my life and now let me get busy being with you, around you, even have conversation to hear you, but not actually abide in you. See, to abide with Jesus is not a principle that you can do, it's an addiction problem. <laughs> and we keep on saying you need to abide with Christ we try to pray we try to read our Bibles and if we don't do it enough we feel guilty how many prayed and then didn't pray long enough and felt guilty before 
How many read your Bible and only got through a couple verses and felt guilty you didn't read enough? How many read the book of Jude, which is only one chapter, and felt really good that you finished a book of the Bible? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Like, God is happier the more you read. I'm not taking away from this. We're going to read tons of scripture this week. I'm taking away from it all. But more than the actual written word is the word. Now, when I say that for all doctrinal purposes, you can't go outside the word for doctrine, but you definitely go outside the word for relationship. He's way more than this word. He was before this word and he's way after this word. And let me ask you something. Do you think you're going to abide with him in the new earth and new heaven and be studying the word here or studying the word, his eyes? You better get addicted to the first one. I mean, the second one, his eyes. This is to get you addicted to his eyes, but most of us got our eyes addicted to this. Wow. You guys staying with me? It's to draw you in and see abiding in John 15 when it says to abide in him and him abide in you. It's called an addiction problem, not trying to build more habits or healthy habits. We're all addicts. We're all codependent. We're unable to live independently. As much as we try to tell ourselves that we can, we cannot. Two hands brought you into this world <laughs> and two hands will lay you out of this world. You are not independent. There's nothing you've done on your own. Somebody else created that business where you work out, where you get your paycheck. Are you guys staying with me? I mean, there's nothing you've done on your own. Someone else has set the stage for you to do it. Have you ever looked at the pictures of old and pondered that they had, they had these ambitions like we do today, but today they're gone? And so here it is, unless we have an addiction to Jesus... We'll have a habit of trying to do something for Jesus. See, I don't know if you guys deal with it, but in, in Atlanta, we have a lot of people that's on crack cocaine. Yeah. One of the most addictive drugs out there. And the way they make it is all they were trying to do was cheapen coke. That's all they were trying to do, like get rid of it, because coke's expensive, cocaine's expensive. They're trying to cheapen it and try to make it, but it became more addictive. And when you're addicted to crack, they can say seven years later, without ever touching it, the actual taste will come back into your mouth. How many know that's a serious addiction? And all of us are codependent and addicted to something. We're all addicted. Maybe it's not substances, but maybe it's self-image. But maybe it's substances. Maybe it's entertainment. That when you get in your car, you cannot even sit quiet, the radio comes on. When you get home, the TV's on. You're addicted to noise because you're afraid of being quiet. We're addicted. Addicted to our kids so we can find significance. Addicted to our jobs. Addicted to our ministries and our helps. Addicted to our athletics. Because that's where we find what? You say, what's an addiction? Addiction is something that you have to have and that you think upon constantly until you get it. You guys staying with me? And so here it is, a lot of times we hear, let's abide in him and him abide in us. And we hear this as like, okay, I need to do this. And so therefore we try to put methods in play to get addicted to Jesus, I mean, not to get addicted, but to abide with him. But you're not abiding with him. You're like Martha. You're around him. You're learning about him. You might even try to fix a few things as you read and hear from him, but you're not abiding with him. And so therefore, in your quiet place, when no one's looking, you're still captive to the old demons that you thought you were set free from. Even though you were set free from them, you gave them room back into your life again. 
And Ephesians says, do not give room back to them. How do you give room to them? Because if you're not addicted in the abiding, then you're addicted to something else. You guys staying with me? And so the Lord's trying to cause us to be addicted to him, and many of us are trying to be obligated to him. Do you think he wants a bride that feels obligated to him, or do you think he wants a bride that's addicted to him? He's looking for addicts. We're all trying to be set free from addiction. No, 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 my friends. You're just supposed to get addicted to one thing, and it will set you free from all other things. And it doesn't happen because you just think you like it. How many know that working out is great, right? We all have that concept. And we have that liking the idea of working out, or at least the results of working out. And everybody like looks into it, but that doesn't mean you have the desire to work out. You have a desire to eat whatever you want. You have a desire to sit on your butt, and you have a desire to do something else other than work out. But the desire or the thought of working out ideally is awesome. And you see something, I could, I could look like that in a few months. No, you probably couldn't, but that's okay. And you think, ah, but see, people that are actually good at working out and into working out, it's not just something they try, it's something in them. It's something they understand and more than understand, they actually have a desire for and that desire causes them to be able to stay in a gym 15 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes. And now some people are addicted and wrong for that. I understand, put that to the side, but for the healthy ones, they have, they have an understanding and a desire. It goes, on, it goes beyond just a like the idea concept and becomes a reality. And many of us like the idea of God, but we're not living in the reality. Our biggest touch from God is on Sunday morning instead of Monday morning in our prayer room. We try to find, we, we come in the idea, it's like kind of watching a, a, a TV show on like eating healthy or workout. You're like, oh, I could do that. Come on now. As you said in your butt, eating something bad and pushing those remote, right? And we, but the idea gets us and we think, okay, I'm going to start in... Mm, Two weeks, because that's after Thanksgiving. Okay, a month, because it's after Christmas. So I'll start January. Right? That's what we do, right? And then like, we start getting workout clothes. And we, start, and we like the idea of it, but right now we don't have a desire still for it. We still have a desire to do what we've been doing before we saw that. And when we come on Sunday, we do the same thing. We sit back, let somebody else speak to us, let somebody else's relationship minister to us, let somebody else's healthy spiritual life get to us, and we think it's ours because we've heard it, and we can regurgitate it, and we can go and tell somebody else they need it as well. Man, I have some people, I work out, I have some people that are really overweight come and try to tell me how to work out. I'm not telling you that they don't know something, but they don't know something. They don't know the pain and the energy and the mindset you need to do what they're trying to tell me to do. There's seriously a trainer. He's got to be about 320. It's whatever. I, I don't care what anybody's body looks like. That's up to them. I like, we have mine in shape and I like my wife's. All right? So that's important to me. And so that's an amen. She's beautiful. Why do you think we have eight kids? Okay. So just a side note. I won't stay away from anything that God created and called beautiful. So, just might say some things that might sound a little, but they're not. They're really exciting. <laughs> Imagine if our 16-year-olds and 14-year-olds were understanding from parents, not from school, the beauty of what God created. Amen. And that it's okay that they have a desire for it. Amen. They get to do it one day. They just got to get ready to be able to take the responsibility that comes with it. Then they wouldn't go to their computers or their friends and laugh about it. They'd be focused as lasers to prepare for something great that God gave them. Amen? That's fun stuff right there. What was I talking about before that? That's like distracting. 
How long is this conference? Can, all right. What did I say? Oh, so he's a 320-pound trainer. He's a great guy. He actually tried to help me out with a ticket that I got because he knows some cops. It didn't work out, but thought it was going to work out. And uh, he's, him and I are friends. But, you know, it's hard for me to listen to him tell me how to work out as I'm busting my butt, cutting my weight, cutting my fat, cutting what I'm eating as he's sitting there eating McDonald's, not working out, sitting in a gym. How many know just because you sit in a gym doesn't mean you're in shape? And just because you come to church doesn't mean you're addicted. And because you see other addictions doesn't mean you're in. Because you have the sweats just like they have the sweats, means you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit just like they had with the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean you're addicted. Because you get out of breath walking up the stairs just like the other guy doing the step, doing the stair climber, you're having similar experiences, does not mean you're in, the same, in a similar position or similar results. You guys stand with me? And the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you and I into an addiction problem with Jesus. And when I say a problem, the world's going to have a problem with it, not you. <laughs> Where prayer is no longer an obligation. Can I make it clear? God does not get happier when you pray. You'll actually see God and it'll make you happier. Prayer is not for God. God is good without it. Reading the Bible does not make God happier. It's to lighten your eyes to what realities are so that you will no longer be consumed by the storms of this life and be addicted to paddling yourself out and the boat of men, but you'll be addicted to Jesus. So if he's walking on water, you're walking on water. If he's sleeping in the bow of the boat in the midst of a death storm, then you go and you fall asleep in the storm. You don't call him up and wake him up to stop that storm. He called that little faith. Great faith is going to sleep with him, but you can't do that unless you're addicted to him. If you're addicted to his power, you're going to call him up and ask him to stop the storm. He's going to do it. Why does he do it as a sign and a wonder to cause you to get addicted to him but most of us keep on looking for the next storm and looking for a miracle from God instead of going to the bow of the boat and sleeping with him because we don't have an addiction to God we have an addiction to power we have an addiction to results and God wants to set us free as a church to be addicted to his eyes. What miracle are you going to need day one of Christ returning? What miracle are you going to need day two when you're sitting before God? If you love all that God has, then what are you going to do when all you have is God? He's trying to draw his people in that prayer is not an obligation. It's a response. Sorry. Spit. It's a response. Like that of crack cocaine for a crack addict. I don't get up here and sit here and pray because we're going to have church service. I don't prepare for you at all. I don't even know you. I don't even know who's saved and not saved. I don't know who's addicted and not addicted, for they all kind of look the same and say the same things. But eventually we'll know each other by your fruit. I spend time with the Lord because I'm addicted to his presence. I wasn't sitting here at 7 o'clock in the morning to ask him what we're going to talk about here. I just said, Lord, what's on your heart? And just in general. That's the last time we even asked God what was on his heart. It had nothing to do with the ministry we were doing. I know we tell him what's on our heart all the time, and he loves to hear it. That's not to shame that. But when do we ever stop and say, God, what's on your heart? Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with ministry. And just listen. How can we love something we don't even ask what's on his heart? To want to love him is one thing, but to actually love him is a different thing. To want to love him is one thing. And here's how you know you love him, that you obey him. And obedience is not an obligation, it's a response. Oh, come on, church. 
We all like chalk it up. I obey God. There's a mark. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I was faithful. (laughs) Would you think she's going to be happy about that? That I'm chalking up faithfulness or that I keep my eyes on her? I believe I didn't come up here without, we ask for nothing when we come. It's actually costing us and we're fine with that. Do you think we have money? No, we don't have money. But that's not how we make decisions. We felt the Holy Spirit said, go. So we came. The Lord wants to have a revolution. He wants a transformation never to return. Where media will become boring, not something you have to discipline yourself away from. Where your addictions, even to crack cocaine or medications or to a bad relationship or to whatever it may be, that you won't have to just say no to it. You'll have a desire to go the opposite way of it. It's time for the church to walk in the grace of God, not just the mercies of God. Mercy is being forgiven for something you do not deserve. Grace is the empowerment to live holy or divine on earth. How many want to start living by grace because of his mercy? How many want to live empowered to live heavenly lives here on earth as it is in heaven because you're addicted, not because you figured out all the disciplines? Well, well, well. How many are feeling an appetite? How many are getting hungry for more of God right now? How many are going, wow. And that's just the beginning of our king. He's not looking for a bride that feels obligated, but a bride that's addictively in love with him. When your prayer life gets to such a point that you want to get quiet, maybe you can't always figure out how to get quiet, but you have the desire to actually get quiet and put yourself in position to get quiet, you actually might find salvation. Mm-hmm. Isaiah thirty fifteen. Can, is that possible to put up Isaiah thirty fifteen? I didn't give you that verse. I told you it'd be hard for me to give you verses, but we can figure it out. Isaiah thirty fifteen. You have your Bibles. You can turn there. iPads, iPhones, or whatever else those other phones are that you might have. Isaiah thirty fifteen. Is that gonna be plausible or should I just turn there? Oh good, you're awesome. Isaiah thirty fifteen. Look at that, that's so good. But thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you will what? Hmm. Most of us go to God in anxiousness and worry and then think we found salvation because he calms a storm. 
The storm is not your salvation, nor a calm storm is your salvation. The one that calmed it was your salvation. And you know that you're truly saved when you don't need the storm calmed in your life anymore. You just need him. I'm not saying you're not saved otherwise. I just said you know you're truly saved. I mean, you, you got it deep. Does that make sense? Like, you, like, I was married 21 years ago, but I am married now. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm married. It gets deep, and I'm madly in love with that woman. We're deeply in love. And so I, I'm not saying that I wasn't married. I just know I am married now. I got married with a lot of hope of being married. Now I've been through a lot of that stuff, and I still have a hope of great marriage before me because i got a great marriage now. But I have a desire for that. And so I've invested in that. And so here it is, and it's one of the versions that actually says, in repenting and returning to rest, you shall be saved. The next part says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength, is what it goes on to say in verse 16. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. How many want to walk in strength with the Lord? Amen. It's in quietness. But most of us, when we get quiet, it gets louder. And then we pray about the loudness in our heads, much less the loudness of politics the news, the news of our family, our children, our ministries, our jobs, our high schools, our athletics, all that news is going off in our head too. Well, no wonder we come to Sunday to get strength and to come to Sunday to celebrate our strengths. Wow. Are you guys staying with me? Well, no wonder we come here to get our hope up instead of coming with great hope with multiple people. Wow. It says when two are gathered in his name, not your name of worry, Woo! his name, then the demons will flee, but they don't have to flee when you come in your name wanting God to move on your behalf. Who are they worried about? Who are the disciples worried about in that boat? The condition of Jesus or their personal condition? That's little faith. If you want little faith, there you go. Not condemning you. If you want a little money, get that too. You want a little food, get that too. Me, I kind of like a lot of all of it. Are you staying with me? How many love Thanksgiving? That's a lot of food. I can't even eat all the food. It's stupid how much food there is. That's why I love it. Especially when I came from a family of 11. My mom would cook food for a family of 11. That's it. No extra. Thank goodness I was the second oldest and one of the strongest. It's definitely survival of the fittest. Whoever got second, you know, whoever you know, pushed out, you can get seconds. My wife's mom, she has six kids. She makes a food for an army. Now, I like both cooking, but where do you think I like to go? I like my mother-in-law a lot. I love my mom. My mom, there's no one that could replace my mom. But when it comes to food, guess where I want to go? It's not even about flavor. It's about amounts. Right. How many want that with faith? So many of us say, oh, I have a little faith. I can move a mountain. Imagine what you could do if you had a lot of faith called move an earth. Mm. We're just so content. But see, we want people to come in because of our charity and because of our disciplines. Instead of just we being so focused on Christ, people come in. Imagine, he says in Acts, he says he drew people into his church. He says they came. It didn't say the church went out. And I don't get me wrong, I'm evangelistic. I do the Dream Center. I believe in evangelism. Please hear me. My point was the church grew, though, because they loved one another because they're so addicted to Jesus. They sold all they had, didn't keep what they could get and give a little, gave all they can have to all that came in. And it says that the number was added to them. What? And he said, I will build my church. He didn't say you and I would build that church. Oh, come on. I mean, you all can retire now. 
You don't have to put another person in a seat. You just need to fall in love with the one that's in the seats. And a lot of us, again, I want to get back to this point, a lot of us are in the idea of loving Jesus. Just like the idea of being married is a lot different than being married. And you can study all about marriage because you have the idea of wanting to be married. But it's a whole different thing. Anybody been married in this house more than 10 years? Raise up your hands. You know what I'm talking about. A whole different thing. Somebody's like, well, I've been married five. Yeah, just keep going. So a whole different thing. Then being married, and too many of us are in love the idea of God, but are not in love with God. We love the idea of loving God, but we're more in love with the news that we're going to turn on, or the, the football, and who got drafted, or who didn't get drafted. More in love with who's going to be the next president of some country that's going to go away when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords come up. Make sure your politics are right. It's not about some person who's liberal or conservative. That will never save this country. The only thing that will save this country is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and not a politician. I'm not saying you can't be involved and pray, but do not get emotionally wrapped up and do not get involved in reasoning. Actually, before you make an election, please pray to the King of Kings so you can hear his voice instead of get hear your voice. Because your voice is to save you. What's his voice talking about? Come on now. What was Jesus doing in the bow of that boat? He was out. He was snoring. I'm sure of it. He was rocked to sleep. He was completely gone. His beard had drool in it. He was, he was knocked out. How could you not be knocked out if a boat's like getting rocked and water's falling in? You've got to be in past the REM sleep thing, wherever that is, the next level, right? And last night, I, I kept my phone so I can wake up on time, and I, I, didn't, I didn't think about turning off all the other parts of it, and somebody started messaging or something like a group message at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I was so out, though. I was out because I, I remember my dream, and I didn't know what was going on in my dream. You know, like, you might be, and all of a sudden, like, a robot shows up, because you're like, what is this, you know? And so eventually, I start coming out. I'm like, why is my phone, why is my phone, oh, my gosh, what's going on? See, that's how asleep I was. I was deep sleep, but Jesus was gone. It took me in a minute to come out. Jesus didn't come out until they woke him up. Imagine Jesus come out. He was totally human. Imagine Jesus getting woken up with those guys. How tired he probably looked. Bags in his eyes, like, what? You know how you open your eyes? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? What's going on? (laughs) Jesus is completely human. It isn't like, boom, let me arise. (laughs) He's probably like, oh, gross. What's going on? Don't you know we're about to what? Die. Who were they worried about? (sighs) They were encountering Jesus for what they can get out of Jesus, and it wasn't Jesus that they wanted. How many know you can sell all, do all, be in full-time ministry for all that Jesus is doing without actually loving Jesus himself? And the Lord is trying to bring us in, and that means that what happens is you're not addicted to Jesus, you're addicted to his abilities. You're addicted to what he can do for you. And let me tell you something, he loves to do things for you, but for what purpose? Unto him, not unto more. So Jesus wakes up from that boat, he goes up there and he calms the storm and he turns around and says, you of little faith. We would call that great faith. Why would we call that great faith? We always say, go to Jesus when you're in need, talk to him, he'll come, be your friend and father and, and, and calm your storms. Fix your body, heal your body, heal your mind, heal your spirit, touch your finances, right? And then you write a book on how God moves and the principles of God moving. 
And then you go to conference to conference and people, woo, let me apply these principles. And we build principle-driven instead of God-driven. Because what was God doing? See, the, the disciples didn't stop and say, God, what's on your heart? They said, come to my heart and what's going on. They took their heart to heaven instead of getting heaven's heart to earth. Are you guys staying with me? They weren't trying to be a sermon. They're trying to make a sermon. They weren't trying to, they were not moving in the power of God. They were trying to get God's power to move. Their belief system, their desires were messed up just a little bit. Listen to me. If something's out of whack just a little bit in an engine, the whole engine goes kaput. If, if the universe is just off by a centimeter, earth and sun is off by a centimeter, the whole thing burns up. Details matter. <laughs> and God's a God of order. <laughs> And it doesn't mean how we run a Sunday service. I, like I said before, I don't think Sunday services are going to be up in heaven. <laughs> I just don't think they're going to be like this, quiet, one guy talking. I think we're going to be like partying big time. Nothing wrong with what we're doing now, though. Nothing wrong with it. I just want to prepare you. It's going to be really loud and crazy, okay? It's going to be awesome. But see, order with God is getting our desires in order. And to, desire, to want God but desire this world is a problem number one. To know God and have the idea of liking God and the idea of loving God, but loving yourself, loving someone else, or loving what you do, loving protecting yourself, loving your uh, security, loving the idea that you can get your own finances, loving what you can do for yourself, is a problem. It's counter to God. When people try to follow Jesus, he always said things like, sell all that you have. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. He didn't say, go repent of your sins. He dealt with their desire. Are you coming to be with me, or are you coming for what I can do? And if we have the order wrong, we're coming for what he can do, then we're going to miss God. Many will try to enter the kingdom of God, but few will enter in. That's not God being mean. That's God dealing with people's true desires. I called you, Lord, Lord. I cast out demons. I healed the sick and I prophesied. So you moved them all my power, but when did you spend time with me? To actually just be with me, not to get me to move. And how do you spend time with him? Well, you've got to go where he's at. He says, draw near to me, then I'll draw near to you. Seek and you will what? Find. And if you're seeking the miracle, you may find it. doesn't mean you found the one that did the miracle. See, where was Jesus in that boat? He's in the bottom of the boat, not paying attention to the news. Not paying attention to the water splashing. And with all, on the disciples' behalf, these, a lot of them were fishermen. They knew storms. They knew when it was going down. They were factually correct, but they just didn't have truth to set them free from their facts. And too many of us, listen, if you have the principles of God, then you're going to try to take your facts and apply them to the principles, and you're going to get really disheartened. But see, truth will set you free from facts. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But truth sets you free from everything. And see, here's the fact. You're going to die. That storm keeps going the way it's going to go. But Jesus didn't want to calm the storm. He was calm in the midst of the storm. Imagine when we're addicted to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Storms you do not need to worry about. Storms need to worry about you. But if you're like Jesus, what he can do, then you need to worry about the storm and what God's going to do about it. And if he doesn't do what you want, you're going to get offended and think God doesn't love you or think God doesn't move in power. And then you're going to start building doctrines about what he doesn't do and to be caught up in who he is. And the Lord's trying to set us free from a dictionary about God and get us addicted to the word itself. Get us set free from trying to digest more information about God and get God himself. Digest him. He says, you must eat of me, not talk about the food. 
You must actually take in. You must abide in me and be with me. Those are the only people going to do that. Those that are addicted. The only one that's going to go sleep in the bottom of the boat with Jesus and tell him to move on over and grab his beard and make a nice pillow. The only ones that are going to do that are ones that are addicted. You cannot do that out of principle because the fear of everything coming at you will own you. He said, well, love casts out all fear. You have to abide in love, not just be among love. Mary was, I mean, Martha was among love. Mary was in love. The disciples were among love. They just weren't in love. Why do you think after that, Jesus goes up to Peter when Peter had failed and blew it all and went back to working and, you know, just went back to being normal Peter. Jesus came up and says, do you what? Love me. Oh, now go do what you do because you're addicted. We have an addiction problem. Most of us are not addicted to Jesus. We're, we like the idea of Jesus, but we're addicted to everything in our life, our checkbook, our relationships, politics, our kids. And we come to church to give God his little spot, but God didn't come for a spot. He came for a life. It's an addiction problem. If I got the worship team, come. I had a completely different message that I thought two seconds before, but I wasn't sure. And he decided to take a detour, which is awesome. This weekend, this week, I've been in places with four and I've been in places with hundreds and neither, neither one matters to me because I don't know you. I know a lot of people have busy schedules. They have things to do and commitments so I want to make it clear if we want to match schedule to schedule I don't know that we would be in the same category I, I'm over so many different things right now in my life I don't even know how I have to like I can't even tell you from being a coach to being over the Dream Center at the church director and founder of the school of ministry speaking across the nation family of eight a non-profit that raises over a million dollars in missions and I don't get anything from that I get like this it's not for that it's for people these guys who are missionaries I get a small stipend for that but I have to run that organization to remnant worship and running the label the president and founder of the label to kingdom encounter from a book being processed and guys I mean I got a 16-year-old and a 3-year-old. I mean, 2-year-olds. I got one on my hip and chasing my 16-year-old. He's a great basketball player at 6'4", just an amazing young man. My life is like, in most people's terms, be like chaotic. And when do you have peace and rest? And I just, all day long, I'm in rest. All day long, I'm in peace. All day long, I'm encountering God in such a powerful way. And we see, when you become addicted, you don't have to see if your shadow heals people and ask people. You just know what happens. When you walk in the room, you know something changes. See, when you're addicted to Jesus, you don't say, Holy Spirit, come. You know the Holy Spirit came when you walked in the room. And I know that you guys got all this stuff going on in your life, and you get to choose. And I, I, don't, I won't remember your face, I promise you. One time seeing you, I'm not that kind of memory. So I, there's nothing on me looking at you or feeling you feeling some obligation to me. That's the stupidest thing you could possibly do. But some of us need to change our addiction and that takes a little bit of time with something other than our addictions. You can't want to get addicted to Jesus as you're doing your other addictions. 
the bad ones, the drugs, or the good ones, the entertainment. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. But if you want to get addicted to Jesus, then no longer entertainment is exciting to you anymore. I remember jumping off of a, out of an airplane, perfectly good airplane, falling about 120 miles an hour, and I love it. Going through a cloud, coming outside the cloud, face, so fun. And I thought, I am slightly bored right now. Because I've had such encounters with God that no one else was there. No one else saw. No one else saw me, you know, it wasn't a preaching moment. Just me before my king and him moving me in such a way that jumping out of an airplane at 120 miles an hour becomes boring because there's a new addiction. There's an invitation. It starts this morning. You don't have to come, but I'm telling you, this isn't the, there's a really, there's a reason why I come here. There's one message that I come for. Everything else is just is, and I'm not even gonna tell you when that message is. But it will come, and there's one thing that switched me upside down. I pastor, Bible school, doing ministry. People call me revivalist and all that stuff. Whatever, man. I finally, after all that stuff and got all over my head, I finally found Jesus like I never found him before. And it had nothing to do with a theologian, had nothing to do with anything besides a really broken person realizing I had the idea of loving God. But when I looked down in my heart and when I spent time thinking about my prayer life and when I thought about what I was thinking about next, it wasn't him most of the time. It wasn't him. I, just being real, I started looking at Dan and going, my prayer is not about who, his heart, it's about mine. That's not evil. I just was looking at my own issues right here. I get more excited about the newest movie than my encounters with him. The Bible was something I did to preach. I read the Bible parts about devotions that benefited me, not the parts that benefited him. Leviticus was something I had to do as an obligation. Come on now. Church was my highlight with my relationship with the Lord. I said, God, how can I say I'm in love with you? In reality, I'm in love with everything but you, but I have the idea of wanting to love you, so I've deceived myself because I have the idea of wanting to love you that I'm actually in love with you. I'm not. And too many people right now are in relationships, even in this room is someone this room, that is in a relationship right now they should not be in, and they're fornicating. But in your mind, you're like, I love them. I love, no, you do not. Not until you give their life for them do you love them. They're not just worth your time, they're worth your life. See, that, and that's the idea, it feels and it seems and it's like, I mean, they're doing everything married couples do, they just didn't give their life to it. So they love the idea of this person, but they don't love this person. Don't tell me what I, I could tell you exactly what it is. Because the word says so. Truth is for. You can't tell me my experience. I can tell you God's experience, which is ultimately going to be your experience. Church. This will take us, addiction with Jesus will take us out of compassion ministry. And will put us into a shadow ministry. I don't know if you just got that. <laughs> They'll take you out looking at people's eyes and how they're responding to looking into his eyes and you responding. Some of you have been fighting some things in your life for so long you just almost think this is how it's going to be until the end and God says, that is not how it works with me. I set you free.
Here's our call. We have a few minutes. We're not going to have some big, big altar call. You get to just start looking at what am I addicted to? And make a decision. Now, it doesn't change your addiction yet. It just changes your focus. Addiction change will happen, but your focus has to change. I'm not preaching the same message. I already know, I'm, I know where I'm going, so I'm just stopping now. So the Lord's like, here's the path, and we're going to roll this thing. And some of you only committed to coming to the service, you got something, praise God, do whatever you got to do. I'm just going to encourage you, something's worth giving up. Not to hear me. Guys, not to hear me. I'm not it. I'm leaving in a few days. So I can encounter God everywhere you can, but we're going to shift some paradigms. So how you approach him will be completely different for the rest of your life. How many already started feeling a shift of your hunger towards God right now? Let's abide in that for a little bit. Let's go, let's, let's be realists. Let's be honest about where our addictions are. God's not, God already knows. It's time for us to re- own it. When I was like, God, he wasn't mad at me. He's like, about time, son. <laughs> now we can actually work with it. Because how many know you can't give away something you will not own up to? You just got to go, God, I cannot, and I am not. I'm a totally addicted to this worry, anxiety, fear. I'm addicted to doctrine and proclamations. I'm addicted to being right. I'm addicted to sex. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to my finances. I'm a workaholic. I'm a social media addicted. I guess you can do that now too, right? Just and say, God, here I am. And I, I, I love the idea of you like I like the idea of working out, but I'm not addicted yet. And I want to get, I realize it and I own that today. And God, I want you to forgive me for this. I don't even know how to change it. I don't even know how to get myself out of it. But man, I want to be set free from it. It doesn't matter, no titles, no positions right now, just you and Jesus. And let him just show you where you're currently at so you can give it to him. And then we'll go from there. We're just going to let them worship for the next few minutes and and then um, Pastor will come out and close the prayer because I know we need to go to the next thing. But we're going to continue. We're not done. We're going to continue on a thought here that's going to open up. We're going to give you a lot of scriptures to help you that path to walk it out. Amen. So we're just going to have worship go. Feel free. You can sit. You can come forward. You can bow. You can stand. But let's own our addictions. Let's own the idea that we love the idea of God. But today we want to get addicted to Jesus. We want to get addicted to you, Jesus. I want to get addicted to you, Jesus. I don't care what it takes. I'll sit here and I'll wait for my soul comes in.